We're here to share with you inspiring stories that bring to life all the little and big ways that people bring more love, joy, laughter, and humanness to everyday life. Our focus is to hunt for those little moments that refuel the human soul and reminds us what life is really all about. I invite you to sit back, enjoy the moments, enjoy the stories, the adventures, and the journeys. to another episode of What the World Needs More of. I am joined today by our special guest, Francis. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Derek. How's it going? Good. I thought I lost you for a second. <laughs> we're very <laughs> excited to have you. Um, and, and we're going to dive right in with the show's main question, which is what do you believe the world needs more of? Hmm. That's, that's a good question, and I think, I think the obvious answer to that is, is love. Hmm. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start there, but I'll, I'll add another thing that I think the world needs more of. But I, I think the basis of everything you could ever say we need, the core of it is going to be love. So if you say we need more empathy or we need more compassion or we need more um, you know, understanding or connectivity, I think the basis of all of that is that the core center of it is going to be love and people, people just tapping into who they are at the center and being okay with that and, and being more vulnerable and opening up to other people and, and um, therefore then being able to understand other people and empathizing more. I think that's, that's kind of a cure-all, but um, to add on to it, because I imagine that will be the popular answer, <laughs> I would say, um, I would say servitude. I think we need more servant leadership. And the core of that, again, is love. But I think it's something that people maybe don't think enough about. And, um, and you know, there's a lot of militant leadership going on in our world and um, not enough love driven and, and so I think I think we need more of that, and it doesn't. It could be any person, you know, listening to this podcast that could tap into that and create that. Because I think there's a big myth that you have to be in charge of something or you have to be the head of something to be a leader, and that's just not true. You can you can lead in any area of your life, whether you're in charge of anything or not. Which, to be honest with you, who's really in charge? I mean. Autonomy is kind of a myth. Everybody's accountable to somebody. But um, but yeah, I think I think if everybody thought more in terms of serving, servitude, and, and serving their families, and serving their their partners, and serving their children, and serving their community, and serving the people at work, and um, just finding more ways where they can serve, I think I think that would cure a lot of things. I think it would cure some. Some depression. I think it would cure some some um, negativity. I think it would help people to lower their guards down and understand each other better. And uh, I, I I just I've found in my life that when I am focused on that, 
then somehow things start to get better in my relationships and my world around me. So. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Speaking of your world, I'd love to know, what do you consider to be your wow factor? What makes you uniquely you? And what are some of the life moments that help shape it? <laughs> um, well, you and I have talked about this, and I, I always have a trouble answering the question what makes me unique because everyone is unique. So, therefore, if we're all unique, then we're not unique. But we are unique. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I think it's just knowing that I am unique in my own way because there will never be anybody that's like me. It's impossible from the, the rooted core of my being to my DNA to my conditioning to my personality to cultural influences to my belief system. I mean, there's, you know, there's not, I'm never going to match up perfectly against anyone else and neither will anyone for that matter. Mm -hmm. And so I think having a sense of awareness around that and knowing that I am unique and, um, and I'm not, you know, some mass produced standardized product of society is helpful in my journey and living my life um, so that I can act on certain things that are true to my core being. You know, and not letting anybody tell me that I'm not unique. When I first moved to New York and I was in the entertainment industry, it was it was that you could hear that phrase a dime a dozen that, you know, you're you look just like the rest of them. You're the same height as the rest of them. Or you know, we need somebody that has a little more edge and and not letting that speak into my life and knowing that I have a unique mix, if you will, of gifts, talents, perspectives, beliefs that will bring something new to the world. I used to struggle with that a lot growing up because, you know, one of the things I love to do is write. And I used to think, well, what, it, you know, if I'm going to write something, it's, it's going to be a combination of things I've learned from other people. So that makes it not unique, right? But it's, it is unique because it's, it's coming through my lens and my filter and my perspective as a package of all those things I just mentioned, you know, that makes it unique. And, um, that's what's allowed me and my husband to really build a life together um, that we've customized on our own terms based upon our belief system and our core values and what matters most to us. And so I think for a lot of people listening, sometimes you see people around you that, that have built a life based upon what they think they should do or um, just, just that whole you know, mass-produced thought process of fitting into a system and fitting into other people's, you know, belief systems and what they think you should or should not do. And um, if that, if, if anybody out there struggles with that, I'd really just encourage them to tap into that core of their being and not be afraid of it um, <laughs> because it might look different than their neighbors. But start to make decisions and choices in the direction that's going to build them a life that is true, true to them. Um, and that's where me and my husband have come up with the whole, you know, customize your life slogan, because that's what it's about is helping people make better decisions in that direction. Hmm. I love that. And, and throughout your journey, what's maybe one or two moments that helped shape it? I heard a few in there. 
But are there any that stand out that really helped you mold that thought process of like, hey, we need to customize our life. We need to stop being stuck in this mass produced thought process or lifestyle. And, and, and we want to transition and, and carve our own path here, do the customization. Yeah, absolutely. So my, so ours are, ours are different. Um, our realization moments are separate, but when we came together, we had the same, we had the same ideology without knowing that we had an ideology. We thought the same at that point. So, um, but, but mine happened before, before I met him, I was, I was, um, my whole life I had chosen to, uh, to become a, a dancer and go into the entertainment industry. And I had kind of, kind of tunnel vision on that. I was set. Um, and I went to college and I was kind of doing what a lot of college kids do in college, you know, as my stepping stone before moving to New York, but I was wrapped up in a lot of social life and a lot of, a lot of just, you know, kind of making myself open and susceptible to other people's opinions without really filtering it through my own value system and my own beliefs. Um, so, so a huge, a major event happened when I was, when I was 21 years old and I, I, um, it was back in 2008 and I lost my dad to lung cancer. Mm. And that was the, that was my moment. Um, I had been through other tragedies in my life I lost uh, someone who was really close to me one of my best friends when I was 15 and that shook me up a little bit um, as you can imagine and uh, but but losing my dad was was really the event that that shifted my whole perspective mm. and um, you know he was my hero he he was my lifeline if you will him and him and my mom are just incredible parents and um, my mom was always my my encourager, my cheerleader. She was the wind in my sails. It always pushed me further. Um, and she still does that, um, gives me the belief that I can do anything. And my dad was kind of like my encyclopedia for life, my Google, <laughs> where I could call him for anything I needed. And he was just so smart and um, and and so patient with me help me kind of navigate through life so um needless to say you know losing him was was emotionally devastating um he he had lung cancer i think i mentioned so i pulled out of school i was living in oklahoma city at the time and i moved back home to alabama to be with him in those those final days and um, we were fortunate enough to get more than a few final days with him um, so that we could have some pretty, pretty special conversations. And so that it could really, um, you know, it, it could really impress upon my heart what was actually happening. And, and I don't know if you ever spend with any, if you ever spend time with anybody at the end of their life, especially someone like my dad, who who was just packed with wisdom and knowledge and heart and love um, and having a belief system that, you know, he's, he's going on to, to heaven and, and that's, that's our faith. Um, it's really cool. It's really, it's, it's a tornado of emotions for sure, but there's a part of it that's really beautiful 
And just a few things that my dad said to me stuck out to me during that time. Um, he, you know, he kept telling me to stay the course. He kept telling me, you know, uh, that, he, that he was so excited to move on, but he just wanted to make sure we were okay and to take care of my mom and look after each other. And um, one of the things he said to me was, you know, I always want you to do your best. I'm not saying you have to be the best because he knew how competitive I was. Uh, but I always want you to always do your best and, you know, just little things like that, um, that he, he spoke to me in those final days were really, really impressed upon me. And, but the biggest thing that shifted my perspective and the way that I was living my life and what I was dedicating my life to, um, came when we were at his visitation and up here in New York, they call it awake and, you know, but it's where, it's where um, people come and pay their respects to the family. And, you know, we had open casket and everything. And it, there was, there was an overwhelming amount of people that came in for that. And we live in a small, we lived in a small town in Alabama. I don't live there anymore, but we just Gunnersville, Alabama. And many people in the community love my father. And then, and then outside of the community, from work influences and people, you know, we had never met were flying in from Boston and Pikes Peak and wherever my dad had been. All, um, and, and there was literally a line wrapped around the church three times in the rain. And so this, 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 this procession line or the, they, it kept going on <laughs> for hours and hours and hours where we were just just, you know, hugging people and, and hearing personal stories and everything that anyone shared with us was all about how my dad made them feel or how he served them or how he loved them or how, you know, specifically how he was there at the hospital um, before, you know, when a loved one got rushed to the hospital before the rest of the family could arrive or you know, uh, he did that a lot. He visited people in hospitals and sat with them and, and prayed with them and read with them. And, you know, he, he just cared about people. He, he always made these homemade bookmarks, which I thought was really dorky as a kid, but I think is really cool now. And one of them said, people are your most appreciable asset. And, and so he just, you know, he just um, really dedicated his life to serving people and that was the theme of that day and that might seem really obvious to you and maybe to the listeners but and and I guess it was obvious to me if you really asked me what happens at a visitation but up until that point in my life I was so performance driven I was so focused on collecting trophies and um another line on my resume and another talent or skill I could acquire just basically another way I could climb the next mountain and wasn't really concerned about the relationships or the friendships I was building along the way or who I was stopping to help or to serve or to love and taking that extra time. I, I was so focused on just that performance aspect of my life that I was missing the whole purpose aspect of life and and I noticed that because my dad had done a lot of really great things a lot of noteworthy things where we could have oh you know I read that book that your dad you know contributed to or 
you know, his, his um, document on this really helped move my life forward or, you know, the, the things he did at work or, you know, he had this whole trunk that we found after he passed away with medals and certificates. And, you know, I wish that we had found it earlier so I could ask him those stories. But the fact that he never even brought those home to parade them to us as his immediate family, he brought them home and put them in a trunk because when he came home, he was dead. I mean, that spoke volumes to me with how he lived his life. I didn't even know how important he was at his work. I had no idea. Um, so he just lived his life for other people. And that, that impressed upon me so much that it just sent me on this major journey to discover what I, you know, what my purpose was and what my life was really going to be about from that point forward. Because I had to ask myself, if I were to pass away today, I'm, I'm sure some people would come. I know people would come. I have friends. I have family. But are they really, did I impact them in any way? Am I leaving them, you know, when I leave interactions with people, am I leaving them better than, than before I came? Or am I just kind of bulldozing through my life, trying to get done what I need to get done, asking people for help and not stopping to, to really care about, what they need or, or where I can help with them. So um, it was really cool because my dad had this bookshelf in his garage and I thought it was super boring <laughs> as a kid um, to, you know, that he would go in there and read things. I mean, literally he would read in our garage. Um, and Every year for my birthday, he would give me some sort of personal development book. And I was like, cool, cool. You know, and I would kind of read it. And, you know, we'd go on road trips and he would always play some sort of book on tape. And the authors were just incredible, incredible thought leaders on personal development, you know, just from every walk of, of, of life in that space. So, you, you know, John Maxwell, Stephen Covey, Tony Robbins, um, you know, he loved Victor Frankel and he loved you know, just, just anybody in that family. And um, so I went into that garage one day and I said, all right, you know, I just missed my dad. I was just grieving him so much. And I wanted to feel his presence. I wanted to feel something. And I'm sure that most people do after a loved one passed away and um, looking through pictures and, you know, nothing was really helping me feel close to him. And I saw that bookshelf and it kind of stood out like this sore thumb in this, you know, <laughs> crowded garage. And I, I said, you know what, I'm going to start reading his books. And I, I, I wasn't going to read them w with the intention of changing my perspective on life. I wanted to read them so that I could feel close to him. I wanted to read his handwriting in the margin. But obviously what it did um, is it transformed my way of thinking because in order to read his handwriting in the margins, I had to read the book to understand the context. And it changed, it changed me. It changed my whole thought process. What, what the people were speaking about in the books were things that, yeah, my dad, you know, and mom both had, had raised me on and were working to instill those types of principles in me. But, you know, this, this was a full immersion into, I would say, 150 to 200 books that I read 
after after that his passing because mm. I just was so hungry to read his handwriting. Mm. Um, and and I started to just realize, you know, I, I started to put together my core value system. I started to put together, you know, what I felt my purpose in life was from that point forward, which was pretty simple. Um, it was to, to serve people and love people and leave them better off than, than how I'd met them and, and to make an impact. You know, when I get to the end of my life, I want to, I want to feel good that I did as much as I could with the resources I've been given. You know, I took a, a trip over to Honduras, um, around that time. And the thing that stood out to me the most, uh, cause of course I'm going on this mission trip thinking like, I'm going to go, you know, serve. I think a lot of people do that. I'm going to go to this other country or this other, you know, the, this place where there's people that, you know, need help and I'm going to go and give and, you know, it, and you've got this idea that you're the one that's going to do all the giving and you're going to make this like outrageous change. And then when you're there and especially when you leave, you're like, okay, I know I did some good things. Like we put 10 roofs on and we poured some concrete and we hung out with them and played with them and prayed with them and broke bread together. But I think I got way more out of this. I think they gave way more to me than I did to them because the perspective that they gave me was their joy, um, their joy without having all the things that we have in the U.S. You know, they'd never seen a smartphone. They'd never seen a TV. Um, and yet they had this just unbelievable internal joy that so many of us in the U.S. or whatever country, um, just if you have a lot of resources, still don't have that type of joy. So um, all these things kind of collided in my life at a similar time, Jarek, and it really just it made me stop caring what other people thought in terms of what I should do or how I should be. Um, and I just got down to the core of my being and said, what do I really believe in? You know, what kind of difference do I need to make? And do I, do I want to make in this world? And do I feel called to make in this world? Who cares how outrageous it is? And when I say I don't care what other people think, it's the negative talk. It's, you know, obviously I care what people think, but you know, the negative voices, the naysayers, if you will, I just stopped buying into that. And I stopped listening to all this unfiltered input. I, I started to become more careful and cautious about what I was accepting into my belief system. So, you know, I, before, before this time period, I would listen to my friends about relationship advice and none of them had ever been married. You know, I would listen to um, people who, you know, were broke that were giving me financial advice. You know, I, I just, I was not checking, I was not checking the credibility and I was just allowing myself to be susceptible to all this, you know, crazy amount of input. And I didn't, I, I, it's not like I just shut people up from that point forward. But I, I, I didn't allow it to penetrate my brain from that point forward. And I took all the information I received and put it through this filter now of my core value system and whether or not it was coming from a place of, of really strong credibility. And what I started to do was pursue people that had that really strong credibility, whether it's that they've been married for decades 
or they had a really strong spiritual foundation, or they had really strong, you know, financial situation, had been a really good steward of their money. Um, I started pursuing people like that after I went through my reading journey. And of course, I'm still on the reading journey. But after this whole transformational process, I knew that if I wanted to create exponential results in my life, I had to only listen to experts. I couldn't allow, you know, all this theory to, to sway my direction. I had to find experts and listen to what they were saying and pretty much just trust that and begin to duplicate efforts like that. So I was on this journey, and I know this is a really long answer to your simple question, so please forgive me. Um, but that was, that was what sent me on my journey to creating a life that was customized to me. And Tony, my husband, has his own journey. I know you've interviewed him, so the viewers will get to hear from him as well. But, um, you know, he's got a pretty unique journey also. And it was pretty cool that we were able to find each other. And he was connected already to some, some really key experts in his life. And um, so he was further along in the journey than I was. But it was really cool when we got together how everything started clicking and moving us in the right direction as to, you know, what we were going to realize in our life from that point forward, one that was true to us. Hmm. I love it. What a moment of time. There's so many things, like you said, were colliding at that exact same moment that, that shaped you. I, I think that thought when people say, I, I, don't, I don't know what makes me me. I don't know, I don't know if I have a wow factor. I, I think knowing how all the elements collided in that, that moment of time is, is what creates you. It's what makes you uniquely you and what beautiful context and, and, and depth of story to take us on there. I, I love it. Now, with all of this going on in your world and everything that's transpired since, I'm curious, what's a humbling moment that occurred along the way? Mm, um, well, I had, <laughs> I had quite a few of those because I was an industry, in an industry for many years with dance that was not shy about putting you in your place very quickly. Um, and I also, I, I, I think I mentioned or maybe I didn't, I got made fun of a lot as a kid mm. just from moving around from place to place. So criticism is not anything new to me. Um, but, you know, I, I remember, and, and this may be a, a, a small moment. I, honestly, Derek, I think I'll, I'll start off by saying, I think that the moment that humbled me the most was my father's funeral and, and that visitation experience that, that was really defining for me. Um, but taking it back even further, just a small moment. I remember, I remember when I was in high school and, you know, I was still, you know, I, I was a high school kid. I didn't, I didn't really, um, yeah, I was still figuring things out. And, um, I remember I was in charge of something at school and, you know, uh, a lot of people didn't like what I was doing. I was actually planning prom and, um, a lot of the, 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 the kids' parents didn't like some of the decisions I was making and, you know, they wanted to, you know, have things done a certain way. And I was really trying to make it better, but I was, I was putting all these pieces together that didn't make sense to them yet until it would be, you know, kind of unleashed at the end. And then they'd go, Oh, it makes sense. And of course I wasn't communicating that well because I didn't really know how to communicate at the time. So a, a little moment that stuck with me for the rest of my life was, um, 
I was venting to my mom on a text message and I really rarely did this, but I was really upset because some of the moms had kind of gotten together and they were not happy with what I was doing. And one of the teachers was threatening to give me, I don't know, a demerit or um, I forget what you call it, but like a mark against me (laughs) at school, which I had never received in my life before. And I'm like, over this, over prom, like you can't even justify that. I was, I was, you know, I had to go to the principal's office and we had this weird conversation about it. I'm like, you cannot give me, you know, a demerit for, for just doing something a little, you know, I, this is my position. So anyways, it was very funny and hysterical looking back on it, but I was venting to my mom about one particular mom that was, that was really giving me kind of a hard time. And I said, yeah, mom, she's such a, you know, and I, and I curse and I hate that word, but I cursed. I called her the B word and whatever. And, and, um, you know, my mom was probably shocked to receive that because that's not how she raised me either, but I didn't send a message to my mom. I sent it to the girls, to the mom's daughter. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I, I realized, like, okay, it's just not okay to vent. Because that went, first of all, it went to the person who I'm talking, I was talking about her mom. Hmm. And it, it really just kind of like, it, 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 even though it may seem like a simple thing, it was a huge moment in my life where I realized from that point forward, okay, Francis, you got to, you got to reel this back in. Like, you have to take ownership over your thoughts and hold them captive and not just let this negative come out just because you feel like it um, or you're upset. You know, it's not okay to hurt people. And honestly, like the mom, she, you know, she was pretty cool about it. And, you know, she got over it. We had history together. So it wasn't like, you know, we're never speaking with each other or anything like that. It wasn't such a dramatic consequence, but for me, I knew what I did and I knew how horrible that was. And that, from there really helped me to just watch my words. And I also read a great book um, called the four agreements Mm. by Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, So good. He wrote the mastery of love as well. But one of the agreements is to be impeccable with your word and to not say things that you don't mean, you know, or, or to, to always speak in the direction of truth and love, because did I really feel that she was that label? No. I just wanted to say it in that moment because I was mad at her, but I really did not feel that way at my core being. So why say it, Hmm. you know? And um, so that really, that really kind of sat me down in in a a theoretical way and just, just got me to, to watch my words. But, you know, Jarek, my whole life, I, I, I had adversity and I, I was made fun of many times and, you know, I was not a good dancer. I was not naturally gifted. I had to work really hard at it. Um, so I think, I think I've been humbled many times over the years, but it, it helped me develop that consistency and, and that fortitude muscle that I needed to just keep me going. So I, I, you know, who knows if I was born talented or if I was born with things that came easily to me if I would have fought for anything, I don't know. So I'm always thankful for that. I'm always thankful for my adversity and, you know, just the fact that I wasn't naturally good at the things I wanted to do. Mm. 
That's special. To be grateful for the fact that you weren't amazing at it because it made you work for it and also value it that much more on the other side. Mm. It's, it's powerful. Yep. Here, here's, here's the thought. What about an awe-inspiring moment? Something that left you in a state of awe? Mm. Well, um, I've got a lot of those because I looked for them. Um, every day, you know, something that I've gotten from you, Jarek, and some of the conversations we've had, we've talked a lot about gratitude and starting your day off in gratitude and, and looking for the little things that most people may not see if they're not looking for them. Um, you'll always see what you always see what you're looking for. So if you're looking for positive things, you'll find them. If you look for negative things, you'll find them. Um, so I have a lot of awe-inspiring moments, I think, just because I look for them. Hmm. One of my favorite things is just is just Mother Nature and, and being humbled by Mother Nature continually as I sit and watch a sunset or I watch a sunrise or the other night. We had the most insane heat lightning going on out here, and it was so beautiful um, just to sit there and watch it. And my husband thought I was crazy. He's like, come back in the house. <laughs> I'm like, I'm enjoying it. He's like, yeah, but maybe at the expense of your safety. So he was right. <laughs> so I went back in the house. But, um, you know, just and, and just having my daughter, you know, just, just her her being born and in my life. And, you know, the birth was incredible, but, but every single day with her is incredible. She really puts me in a state of awe almost continually because it, she's just, she's just amazing, you know, and God, what God does in creating, you know, creating life like that and allowing us to participate in that experience is just unreal. So I, I get humbled a lot through nature and through things I don't understand um, in, in a beautiful sense. Like I, I don't understand the universe and, and all these things that, you know, uh, God's created for us to enjoy. Um, and that, that easily kind of gives me great perspective especially when I have anxieties going on or fears and it kind of really helps me quiet those by just tapping into that gratitude and looking to something beyond myself that is so much greater and has so much bigger purpose to make this world turn than you know my little chunk of it and peace and whatever whatever might create be creating that anxiety or or stress so Speaking of anxiety and possible stress, what's your greatest fear? Mm. So can we talk about fear a little bit? Because this has been an interesting topic in a lot of my personal conversations with, with peers of mine um, that say, you know, uh, hey, I want to be fearless or how do I get rid of fear? How do I get rid of my fears? And I, I, um, I really love what Elizabeth Gilbert says in her book, Big Magic, because she's like, you're, you're not going to ever get rid of fear. It's a part of your family. You know, it's protected you in a lot of, a lot of ways throughout your life. I mean, it told you not to go down that dark alleyway and it told you, you know, uh, to, to look out or to, to, to stay away from something. So she's like, it's actually a really good part of your emotional family. So it just comes down to how you dictate the fear and, um, whether or not you let it control your life. But yeah, uh, my greatest fear, Jarek, is um, not doing everything I could have done. Mm. 
with the resources I've been given. I, I, I know that I have days where I can be selfish and I have moments where I can be selfish. My, my temperament at its core being is, is introverted. And so it is not natural for me to want to go be around large crowds of people. And, and uh, it, it's more natural for me to want to sit in my, you know, my kind of my isolated space and just be alone and enjoy nature and peace. And it's not that I don't care about people. Clearly I do. I just went through my whole story and, and journey and my purpose in life. So, but that is my temperament. And so I have to be mindful and aware of that. And I, I have to allow that side of me to have restoration and peace and solitude when needed. Hmm. But I can't let it have that all the time. So where I'm not getting out and contributing and, and doing the things that I need to do to fulfill my calling and purpose. So I really try to keep that in check and make sure there's healthy balance there. But because my greatest fear is getting to the end of my life and, and knowing or finding out maybe that there were all these moments that I missed because I was selfish. Hmm. There were all these opportunities for me to do something to help someone or impact or tap into, you know, an area of my own growth and expansion, but I didn't do it because I felt like I needed to back away or, you know, have an extra hour alone or I didn't, I didn't feel like talking to that person that day. And, you know, so I, I, I think about that a lot and, and I, 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 uh, I, I work on that because I, I just, I don't want to leave this earth knowing that there was so much more I could have done, you know, um, had it not been for my, my temperament and my own insecurities. You know, I have, I have insecurities. I think everybody does. Again, I don't think, I don't, I just do not believe that there are people that don't have insecurities. It's just how you, again, speak to those in your life and whether or not you allow them to take ownership or not, or to take a back seat. So of course I'll have insecurities over things like, you know, when I first started speaking on stages or, um, you know, when I first started traveling and doing things that made me uncomfortable when I first started writing my blogs, I mean, it's like, oh, like it's, it's, it was a vulnerable thing to do. And it, it, it freaked me out and it would be so much easier to say, you know, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to throw it away and go back into the covers. Um, and I, every time I'm faced in one of those moments, I, I really try my best to push through it and tell fear to take a back seat so that I can, you know, act on it and, um, and not miss those moments, not miss those opportunities to give and to contribute. So. Mm. I love that. It's a great fear because it brings you out of the, the box you might put yourself in and allows you to experience, you know, the, the, width and depth of what life has to offer around you what a beautiful way to use that to transpire uh you know things that would normally be a constraint but but now becomes a launching pad for you to go out into that's awesome speaking of launching what are you excited about in the future hmm. um i'm excited about so many things i'm i'm excited about you know, the family that we've created and our expanding, you know, so many personal things like that. Um, but what I'm most excited about is 
is seeing what seeing what's going to transpire through through our compounded efforts that we've been working so hard to to invest into people all these years. So my husband and I and the work that we do, we spend a lot of time investing into people and giving that time and giving that, you know, servitude and, and helping them navigate their own, their own core value system and their own unique stories and, and purpose in life and help them get on that path to be able to realize those things. Um, and we do that, you know, we have a very specific way that we do that. So it's pretty cool. We're at a point now where it's kind of like this wave that was just building and building and building as we were seeing these people make better decisions in their life and, and achieve these milestones. And the cool thing about what we do is they, they are charged with the responsibility of paying it forward. And so that has continued to build and build and build. And now we're seeing people that we may not have even ever met before that are already down the path of good ways and have, have stories to tell and debt is paid off or relationships are better or, or whatever it is. And we're going, okay, that, that is the result of what we did eight years ago or five years ago, or whenever it was that we started that chain of relationships. Mm. So I'm really excited to see because it's not, it's not what Tony and I did. Yes, we started this chain reaction. And of course, we were actually just a link in the chain because we, it was, you know, poured into us by our mentors. But so we've, we've started and been a part of this, this wave. But now it's seeing all the people that we've been able to help helping other people. And that's like next level greatness that I'm just, I'm, I'm ready to just sit back and just, I'm not, I'm not going to sit back, but like, just, I, I, that is going to be the most inspiring thing as we hear more and more people have breakthroughs and um, really be able to realize uh, a life that they've customized based upon their belief system and their goals and their purpose. So Hmm. it's, it's, um, it's really exciting. And, and, and I, I feel we're at the biggest growth with, wave of our life I feel like we're on the biggest growth curve of our life personally and just what an exciting place to be we're so thankful how powerful I love that I love that now we're going to switch gears into our next section of the show and there's just three questions here but they're pretty simple and straightforward the whole section is called the nuts and bolts and this is more about practical tactical applicable things someone could take and immediately apply into their life or, or business or world. Um, and so the first question here is we'd love to know, where do you focus the more, the majority of your thoughts and time and life each day as of right now? All right. Yeah. Um, good, good question. And I like, I like that you're sectioning it off this way. So the majority of my day, where do I focus my time and attention? Well, um, I'm investing it into my family. So I'm, I'm uh, spending a good amount of time during the day. Fortunately, we have uh, built a lifestyle that allow, allows us um, tremendous freedom and mm-hmm. how we allocate our time and, and family is right at the top of my core value list. So spending a good amount of time with them, my daughter, we have a beautiful son that came as a package deal with my husband. So I've really got a great friendship um, with him. He's 15 now. And uh, my daughter is 10 months old and 
I just enjoy getting to be the primary influence in their life along with my husband. It's, it's pretty awesome. So, um, but outside of that, we're investing into people. And I love the fact that our children are going to get to see us invest into people and, and spend that time with um, the people that we're, we're working to coach and mentor and um, help them break through their tough times and their moments and, and create growth in their life. And, but I, I, I think on a simple level, to answer the question in a kind of an actionable way for the viewers is I spend time on my, myself because I need to improve myself so that I can be the best mother and, and wife and, and leader I can be for those around me. Um, and then I invest time into my family. Uh, I, even before all of that, I invest time into my faith. Um, and, and the way that I invest time into myself and my faith is by reading. I read a lot. Um, it's, it's made me who I am, and it's, it's continuing to mold and shape me and stretch me and challenge me in ways that are uh, really, really healthy and tough and exciting. Um, so I read a lot. I listen to a lot, of, a lot of different things like the podcast, Derek, that you're producing, which I'm super, I can't wait to hear all the people you're interviewing. Um, and I, I meditate. And, um, you know, I make sure my time spent with whether it's my family or other people is quality time. So I'm not on my phone. I'm not really plugged in any kind of technology, you know, that's going to take me away from connecting with them. So I'm super intentional about that. Mm. I love that. And with all these things, spending time with yourself, with your family, with your faith, connecting and sharing with other people, what would you say is a key to your success in all of that? Mm, the key to my success in being able to do that, mm -hmm. being intentional, you know, taking the time to write down what my priorities are. And what I did is I took a pie chart. <clears throat> I made my life into a pie chart. And if you break it down by a week or a day, it's really helpful for you to figure out where you're spending your time and what's taking up the most of it. <clears throat> and if you start to realize that, holy smokes, I'm spending two hours a day on Instagram, you know, just two hours a day. Well, it can, it can compound and that can be 15 minutes here. That can be 20 minutes there, but that's like 700 and something hours, you know, a year that you're spending on, on social media. Um, and that was, that was a big thing for me. I was spending a lot of time there. Um, TV, you know, not that these things are bad, but, but is that, is it aligning with your core value system? And is it taking you away from other things that are, are more important to you? Because those things are, um, I think are autopilot, they're autopilot, like, um, they're things that people aren't conscious about that they just tap into to quote unquote relax. But the question is, is it really relaxing? Is it really restorative? Because, you know, re re restoring yourself and relaxing and, you know, kind of cleansing your mind, and that's all important. But are those things really doing it? Or are they bringing more stress? Are they, you know, are they putting in input that really doesn't align with your value system? So I just, I just got super intentional about it. I sat down. I thought about it. I looked at my pie chart and I was like, holy smokes, I'm spending way too much time in certain areas that are not serving 
me. They're not serving my family. They're not serving my God. They're not serving my purpose. So what am I doing here? Um, and I chopped those down and then had that extra time for the things that, and the people, the things and the people that matter the most. Mm. And that, uh, I found myself being more rested, feeling more rested, I would say, um, just feeling more joyful and, uh, you know, uh, less stress, less anxiety, because I felt, you know, I, I, I feel, I feel that I'm doing my best every day, which goes back to what my dad asked me to do was always to do my best every day. Mm. I love that. I love that. And so our final question, it is, what is one tip someone could take from today's episode and apply to their life and, and to help them experience this kind of success and, and freedom and, customization of their own life i would i would say um just have that conversation with yourself hmm. find some time you know over the next few days where you can have an hour or two to sit down and just have a date with yourself no one else and and you you just sit there and you go okay what am I doing? What is, what is my pie chart look like? What are, what are my core values look like? Am I really living my best life? And it starts with defining it. It starts with crystallizing that vision. And then you may not be able to make the changes the next day, but what you can do is start to create a blueprint of actionable steps you can take every day that are incrementally going to get you to that place. So if it's your health, for instance, and you're obviously you can't wake up the next day and say, well, I got a new body and a new everything because I've just chosen this. No, you you can choose it, but it's going to take incremental steps to get to the place that you want to be. And that's the most obvious example, because clearly we can't change our physical body. But even with our time and the way we're spending it, you know, you don't want to just break off your commitments tomorrow to certain things. Maybe you're a part of a league that's taking you away from your family or, you know, some, something that, you know, is just taking time away from your marriage and you're realizing, okay, I need to, I need to trim some fat and become more focused. Um, you know, it, it could be incremental steps you're going to take, but create the vision and then create the blueprint and start to work on those things every day. And I would, I would recommend journaling about it so that you can look back and reflect and see what helps you and what doesn't help you because five years from now, 10 years from now, as you're, as you're working on staying true to that path and maybe reinventing or reorganizing some areas of your life, you can look back and think about what helped you, what didn't help you. And also um, being able to celebrate the milestones along the way. We have a couple that we've been working with now for um, I would say probably a little over a year and uh, they just paid off a significant amount of debt, but it wasn't something, you know, they made the decision to do it about a year ago. And then it was every single day making those decisions. They found out that every month they were spending a few hundred dollars that they didn't have and just eating out. Hmm. And so every day it was the decision to not eat out, to eat at home, to do certain things, to cut back on certain, you know, luxury bills that were coming in. And, and they had to stay focused on it. But yesterday they, 
they were able to hit payment for the last time and zero it out. And it was just the most amazing feeling for them. They celebrated. They were emotional. We were emotional because it was just such a stress point in their life that affected their relationships, their marriage with each other. And it was just a breakthrough moment, but it didn't happen overnight. They set the goal. They knew what they wanted. And then they took the action steps every day to achieve it. So that's what I would leave my viewers with today. Um, you know, just, just, just start in on that plan and know that if you commit to it, well, it's going to happen. That's right. The time, the commitment, the focus, and the energy will always add up to whatever it is you're, you're needing to do and, and what the place you need to be. I, I love it. So yep. thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us and sharing so much of, of your life and love and experience and insights and strategies. We very much appreciate it. Derek, thank you. Thank you to both you and Amanda for your friendship in our lives and all the great things you've poured into us over over our time getting to know each other. And thanks for doing this podcast because I'm really stoked to hear. I think what you're doing here is really special because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm constantly filling my brain with that. And I think you're tapping into something that is very unique in a sense that you're just you're just kind of getting down to that root core of every human being which is these moments that you know make them who they are and um and and what's important to them and you know i i I, because i listen to a lot of success stuff it's more about kind of charging the hill and climbing to the top and and i love what you're doing because it's 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 starting at the center which is where everyone needs to start before they can really really start to charge the hill it's knowing who you are before you can tackle the task. So I'm, I appreciate you doing this, and I appreciate you letting me be a part of it. Of course, and thank you for that. I think it, it's starting at the core, which is just humanness. We all share it in common with each other, regardless of where you're at in the world or what you're up to, and the ability to reconnect with those moments and realize, oh, I'm not the only one that went through this, or wow, someone else went through it, and this is what they did. How cool. Or holy but Jesus, I didn't know people ever had to go through that kind of stuff. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But it's just the yeah. realness of, of life unfolding in our in you know our headphones, um, and it's mm. a, it's a new format to connect with just other humans and hear what's real in their world and pick up all these little golden Love nuggets, it. these little tips and insights. So, uh, thank you again, and for everyone who's tuning in, thank you so much for spending a little bit of your life with us and tuning in. If you like it, please make sure to subscribe. Please make sure to share it. We believe that sharing is caring and we love caring people. So make sure to share. And uh, we very much look forward to seeing you all next episode. 